0: Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will.
1: And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends.
0: Tom Morrison, we're back.
1: Dave Will, love you, my friend. We're coming <laughs> kind of around at the end of the year and Association Strong is doing just what it is meant to be, bringing amazing people to the table to talk about innovation and creativity and a business
2: mindset.
0: Like Garth Jordan who we have yes. here. Hey Garth, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. Nice to see you guys.
0: So Garth is the CEO of the American Animal Hospital Association, otherwise known as AHA. And uh-huh. uh-huh. So and and Garth you get around, man. Like you have uh, I've seen that's, you that's and, really bad. <laughs> no, 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 not it's it's not bad nor good. No, 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 no innuendos or any kind of assumptions. But
1: our audience is going to take that in the best light, Garth. Uh, I no, just want to no, say you,
0: you no, get no, around. No, you, you are no, a, a thought leader in the association space. I think I've seen you on so many uh, webinars and podcasts and panels, whether it's through ASAE or through working with other partners um we met you and me we met through ariana Rehak from um uh, matchbox uh, i know you do a lot of work with matchbox so anyway i'm glad to get you into our podcast you have a lot of uh, you're you're an association philosopher that's how i look at you <laughs> That's kind. <laughs> so, so t- today, this this falls in the category. This this uh, this episode falls in a category of bringing in an association leader, uh, executive, in this case, CEO, um, to talk to us about innovation and value proposition in your association. Aha. Uh-huh. So, before we get too far into this, Garth, tell us uh, if if I could. Here's what I'd like to do. Let's go through who you are. Let's go through who Aha is, and then Tom and I are going to drill into some questions about the value proposition and the stuff you're doing at Aha to to um, to improve uh, uh, member value. Okay. Perfect. All right. Let's so, Garth, wh- what's your background? Wh- how'd you get into associations? I know you're with the HFMA, Healthcare Financial Management Association, before this. Take us into the background a little bit.
2: Uh. Uh, well, to, to do the, the short version, I'll try to do the short version. I I never thought I'd be in this industry, which I'm sure a lot of us can say that. Uh, um, nobody I knows covered. this is
0: an industry. That's why you don't, you, nobody <laughs> knows don't, right? the association space is actually an industry until exactly. you discover it somewhere, right?
2: Right. It's it's kind of a hidden gem. So I was actually, I started off working as a chemist on a space-based laser during the Reagan uh, Reagan era. So, believe it or not, we were creating a laser that uh, back in the 80s that could shoot down intercontinental ballistic missiles. Uh, uh, so that was that was where I got my start, and then I moved from there into uh, environmental chemistry, where I was cleaning up the most polluted sites on Earth and got exposed to a lot of chemicals. So it's good you're not in the same room with me; otherwise, you'd share my glow. Um, And then after that, I got into starting a uh, mail-order pharmacy. um, Would you say a a mail-order pharmacy? Mail-order pharmacy, yeah. Yeah, like GoodRx? Is
0: that the... uh... Yeah,
2: well, yeah, they like that, but it was bought by a pharmaceutical company in the 90s. So we were... uh, um, Oh, mail-order, not internet. Correct. Mail-order. Really, really, truly mail-order.
0: I remember mail-order.
2: Yeah. 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 Mail-order pharmacy.
0: Oh, I actually remember back in the late eighties, early nineties, still using the J Crew catalog to order some cool right. shirts or pants. Yep.
1: <laughs> the Sears catalog. Go back, Dave. The Sears catalog. That was yeah, the Yeah, You're of our a catalog. little older
0: than me, Tom. We years,
2: were big. We were big on, on phone orders. And uh, so we went from let's see, I was I think I was the eighth employee. When, we went from eight to 125 employees uh, in about two and a half years. So pretty good growth in the '90s there, and then I joined the internet bubble doing uh, uh, online uh, healthcare recruitment with some of the first job banks, and that was how I got exposed to um, to the the association world because the online job bank that I worked with uh, sold its services to other to associations, so they basically became the intel inside for uh, job as as a job bank for associations. So. I started working about 22 years ago in the world of associations from an entrepreneurial point of view. Yeah. Because uh, we were selling, uh, um, if you will, almost software as a service to associations, but in, in the, in the uh, guise of a job bank, right? So they just outsource their job banks to us. So that's how I got into the association world through that entrepreneurial uh, vein. And then when I started working for associations, I tried to bring that inside where it worked for some and not for others
0: so who, did, who hired you and what did they hire you to do in the association space because that's a major shift going from um I, I mean for
1: profit and non-profit yeah but yeah, even yeah.
0: more even more dramatic is going from for-profit innovative software uh, internet to Nonprofit association world where put the brakes gen- on, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it, with respect, generally speaking, the association space is not at the forefront of innovation,
2: no, yeah. Well, I so my uh, while my first stint was with the medical group management association in the late 90s, 2000 or so, uh, the the real kind of first foray, I would say. Uh, in addition to them was with AORN, so it's the operating room nurses. So um, I was with them for six, almost seven years, um, but came to them because uh, um, the organization that I worked for that was selling, if you will, selling or outsourcing job banks, outsourced our job bank to MGMA and to AORN. So that's how I got to know those two organizations. So they liked the idea. Let me just say it this way. They liked the idea of having someone bring the entrepreneur, if you will, and the association together to create a really good product back then, which was the first, you know, the first of the first online jobbing. They liked that idea. But then when you go in as an entrepreneur and you try to work within that, those uh, particular cultures, uh, frankly, it was a bit like butting heads more than anything. They, there just was not the internal readiness of either MGMA at the time. I can't speak for them now, but, uh, um, or AORN at the time, again, I can't speak for them now. There just wasn't that readiness for that type of spirit and that type of uh, working innovatively, quickly, you know uh, uh, lo- you know learning by doing. All those good things that uh that we want to do to to bring a good product to market faster and with less risk
0: so the american animal hospital association talk to me now a little bit about their yes. background it's, it's an old trade association right been around a long time
2: uh in the 80 give or take year uh um range yep so we were started back in i think it was in the 1930s so uh um we were started uh, and re- literally for you know many decades now, our primary uh, um, mode of business has been accrediting veterinary practices. So you could call it a trade association. We're a little bit of a blend Dave. So we accredit uh, um, practices in North America, US and Canada, and we have about 15% market penetration. So of the thirty thousand or so out there, we uh, in North America, we accredit forty five hundred, um, and it is a uh, it is a somewhat uh, grueling process to become accredited. It's I don't want to say we can we could make it simpler, uh, but we don't necessarily want to make it easy to be accredited. Um, but uh, our that's been our core business for, you know, a large chunk of our existence is just that accreditation process. In the last 20 years, once a practice is accredited, during the, the three-year time frame between uh, points of accreditation, you're accredited every three years, you do get access to then kind of individual member benefits. So people who work for the practice get access to content, online learning, and those types of things that are kind of the traditional, uh, you know, Feature set of your your average everyday professional association.
0: So, forty five hundred animal hospitals are currently accredited through AHA. What's the market sh- share of that? I mean, how many animal hospitals are there in in the Americas?
2: Thirty thirty thousand, about. Okay. Give or take so we're at about fifteen percent market share. Um, okay. And one of the reasons I think the board hired me uh, was because I made I think at the time could have been a pretty naive statement. I just looked at them really honestly, deeply, honestly, with curiosity and a, and a lot of you know, quizzical eyeball twirls looking at them saying, why aren't 100% accredited? It doesn't make sense to me.
0: They're What's the answer? Why, why do you think?
2: Yeah, what was the answer? So that's where I think this conversation is gonna take an interesting turn. So part of it is the, the perception of the market and the and the value and the value, right? So, the market perceives uh, and still does perceive accreditation as exceptionally difficult. Number one, to attain, um, and the value is either very unclear or it's perceived as being uh, something that is a an end destination. It is a badge. We earn this badge that says we are in the top 15%, for example. We are accredited, we are better than all of those practices around us who don't have this badge. And then the question becomes, well, what's the value of the badge, okay? And what, our, what practices would like to see is that the badge has value in the eyes of the consumer. So Dave, if you have um, um, an animal, a, a, a pet in your house, the idea is that you as the consumer would go seek an accredited practice before you would seek a non-accredited practice. Right. That said, we are not a consumer organization. We do not have uh, you know, AARP money where we are, we are marketing ourselves to the consumer to say, look for the badge. Don't and get me we, started we in get...
0: AARP, by the way. I think <laughs> I've invented in this podcast about them. Yeah,
1: <laughs> they
2: kind
0: they, to... to
1: push back some certain things Garth (laughs) I listen for
0: the people listening to this I've got a AARP like uh, my card here in my hand along with a piece of paper you know why it's here Garth because I have it on my list of things to do, to call them up and cancel my membership and tell there them to remove right. all of my data. I do not need any more reminders about my age. I do there not need go. any more pamphlets coming in the mail with a picture of an old man and an old woman spinning each <laughs> other around in a field, enjoying retirement. But
1: Dave, you get so many good discounts, man. Come on. Right. Do, I do I
2: though? Do I? discount is where it's at, right? You know, like, AAA you will give
0: me the same discounts and they don't make me feel old.
2: Yeah. There you go. All right. Go.
0: Anyway, sorry. That's
1: why, ahead, at, I, that's, so, why, that's why I joined the Young Millennial Association. So there you go. <laughs> but you so do never. Right? I can't even <laughs> go <laughs> there. The benefit is you feel young, right? That's
2: right, right. 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 Like it's not a feature. It's not a discount. It's not a magazine. It's the feeling. It's a state right? of so, mind, man. You're so right. I
0: need to join that, Tom. Sign me up. I'll get. You I'll be your. I'll be a reference. You can get a little bonus for bringing me in. Hey, Garth. So I love that philosophy about and And it's immediately it's the thing I thought of is like, as a dog owner, I've got three dogs. I have never once, when we're picking a veterinarian, we pick it based on location and general reputation among our friends. And, and is it clean? There you, go. you know, like those right. are the things I care about. Yeah. yeah. And, now, and uh, I, I
2: will tell you if you spent the time and you knew the difference, whether you saw the badge on the door or not, because they typically have the badge, the AHA badge on the door, you might walk into one versus another without looking at the badge. You would notice the difference. You will notice the difference between an accredited practice and non-accredited. But we're not a consumer organization we tried years ago and what happened because that seems like a
0: logical approach to me to like start educating people like me so that we go and say look we're not doing it unless
1: you're accredited
2: yeah tom made the money signal you know the shelling out the benjamins man it's too many benjamins it's a sucking sound we can't drive consumer sentiment about that now what we did though and so this is where I see a, a, a big difference and a tipping point in not only in our value, uh, the way we think about our value, but then our approach down, down the road. We started asking just our members, what is, what, what is the value? We're not talking about features of membership like magazines and all that kind of junk. Like the, the product proliferation in the association world makes, me, makes my stomach churn. It is it is over the top, we, we create too much stuff and we think that's where the value lies.
0: Yeah, yeah start I talking couldn't agree to more. Our
2: members, we start talking to our members. What we learn, and you have to listen, not to the words, but to the emotion, to the feelings, to the sentiment. What we learn when we talk to members and non-members about what they the value is and what they want out of, the, out of accreditation. They like the badge. So I'm not saying the badge goes away, the, you know this badge makes us special. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna take the badge away. In fact, we can actually enhance that a little bit through things like digital credentials and all that kind of stuff, which we don't do today. But I'm not, that's not what I'm here to talk about. What we, what we learned when we listened very carefully, and it's gonna sound simple, but it's only simple because we went through the process of listening through a design thinking process. What we found was the process of accreditation they like the process, not the end destination. They like the journey. Why do they like the journey? Because the journey makes their team better. Mm. So when you think about upstream, their team is better, their clinical outcomes are better because their team is better, and their financial results are better because their clinical outcomes are better. Because people like you, Dave, say, you should go to this veterinarian because they take care of my dog. They're yeah. good. They're clean. The outcomes are great, etc. Well, how does, the, how does the practice get there? you got to go upstream and create a great team. Our value proposition is in the process of changing from being a badge of honor to being a process of team development. That is a huge, huge shift, right? And once we learned that value, I'll tell you this, 91% of our members tell us that the process of accreditation creates a better team. That is an overwhelming majority. Uh, Maybe 95% like the badge, but but 91% like the process. So what we're doing with that information is we're saying our process now is where we need to invest our money. We don't need to invest it in a new magazine. We don't need to invest it in you know, a, another shiny object that says, that adds to the better. We don't need to invest it in discounts, Tom. I know I, you and I share the disdain for discounts, I'm sure. Right. I can, I could just sense it. Right. So what we're doing is we're saying people care so much about this process. We need to build the process with intent. And that intent is to build a better team. We already have a process to build a better team. Now, now we've got to actually, we can make it an intentional thing. Right? So, for example, and this is the best example I have, instead of doing accreditation one-on-one, which has been what we've been doing for 80 years, and I think this is what we talked about, Dave, at Digital mm-hmm. Now, we do accreditation one-on-one. A practice raises its hand, says we want to be accredited. We send a practice consultant in. It, they help them, in the three to six months, they, they typically become accredited, about 75 80% past the process. What we've said now is is people care so much about the process and what we learned is they love our community. So now we're slowly turning our accreditation process from a one-to-one to to a one-to-many process, meaning we're going to do it in a cohort. So 10 practices independently owned will start on January 1 and they'll, they'll be taken through the process of accreditation almost like it's a curriculum. Now they have higher chances of success because they're working with people like them, not just us as the leader. They have a new community that they're building that they can learn from and that extends past the point of when they earn the badge. And we are we are building a process of accreditation that is about discussion and learning and improvement. And the journey of that learning process, not just here's a checklist of 900 standards, go figure out on your own how to, how to you know, make the checklist work.
1: Well, what's exciting about that, Garth, is you've, not created a, you've gone from creating a one and done element where the learning's over, the accreditation's gotten now in six months. Someone may say, what are we getting in value from AHA? Uh-huh. Right. You created exactly. a you created a connection that has longevity to. It, but you said a couple of things that I think are so important for people listening in to hear. So in 2017, in our uh, spring meeting in Bermuda, a guy named by the name of Dan Heath. He wrote a great book about change. He's one of these great. He's he's a guy that people pay forty grand to come in and speak. It's amazing. Upstream, huh?
0: Upstream, right? Is that the book uh, no, you're referencing? No,
1: I can't, I can't remember the exact book, but, but but he, him and his brother tag team, they're twins and they tag team and speak. They, they go into Fortune 500 companies and help them develop change. But in his program, he said what you just said, which is so crucial. He said knowledge, he had one slide that said, knowledge is power, but feeling is the fuel. Find the fuel mm-hmm. and your value will exponentially grow. And I think that's so important for people in here listening um, is to really ask themselves are we are we are we following data are we trying to get to a place where we actually understand the emotions behind the member and what they're wanting to buy exactly which is the pain point um so tom
0: so dan dan heath by the way so what you're describing i I had him i have another podcast cast called eo360 it's this um uh it's over entrepreneurs and uh, but I had Dan on that podcast, coincidentally, and so he wrote a book called Upstream, which is exactly what Garth is talking about here too. It's like it's funny right. you brought Dan Heath up because I immediately thought of Dan Heath when when Garth was talking for a different reason, and right. that is, Garth is looking ahead. He's looking upstream of what's triggering activity and value for his members. And so what he's doing is he's going upstream and affecting the experience that they're going to have in the accredi- accreditation process. I, I, mm-hmm. I have a question for you, Garth, about this. Yeah. Um, so you said we've decided to invest our money in the accreditation process in the, 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 mm-hmm. the uh, the team element to be more yeah. intentional about creating strong teams through this. Um, I, I know as a software vendor, we are. To simplify it, there's two sides of the of the equation for us and what what helps grow a business, right? One is to create a better product so that there's more value for our customers or clients. The other is to drive awareness, which is sales and marketing, right? There's a lot of people that don't buy prop fuel because they don't know about it. And, and then there's some people that don't buy prop fuel because they know about it, but it doesn't, the product doesn't do what they want it to. Okay. So there's the product and then there's sales and marketing. What you referred to and you went immediately to is the product, but improving the product doesn't increase awareness to the other 85% of the market that doesn't know about AHA. Right. right. So why didn't you say anything about increasing market awareness of what AHA's accreditation is about?
2: So let me um, take just a couple steps back and talk about the story of this idea of cohort accreditation, which it's, it's, a, it's a nice two-word label because everybody almost immediately gets what you mean by cohort accreditation. You're not doing accreditation by yourself. You're yeah. going through it with a cohort, with a group of peers, right? So we took that idea essentially uh, um, with just a little more explanation than what I've given here. And we developed essentially a a prototype out of this idea, okay? So we've done two, we've done a couple things with the prototype. One, we actually, um, in October of this year, just a few months ago, we started a pilot with eight practices, taking them through a cohort accreditation together. And I'll tell you about how we got there in a second. But so, so we're actually practicing right now in vivo, as they say, in vitro, we are practicing cohort accreditation right now. We're learning by doing. So that's an important thing to understand. Um, the other thing we've done is we've taken the, just the concept and prototyped it just in a PowerPoint. I mean, you can prototype things in a lot of different ways, duct tape and wires, you know, storyboards, you can do it all kinds of way. We just put it in a PowerPoint. And we've gone to uh, our market uh, the consolidator market. So the one thing to know about our market is, is uh, it is rapidly consolidating. There's 150, 200 companies out there that are buying up uh, veterinary practices and putting them under a single brand, okay? So that consolidation now represents about 30% of the market. So we don't have a product, if you want to call it that, for the consolidator market. But when we started pitching cohort in this prototype form, right, to our consolidator market, we've pitched now to 15 or 20 consolidators. Every single one of them, to a T, raises their hand and say, they say, I want that. And what we say, we, we ask them, well, what, is this, what, what about this appeals or frankly doesn't appeal to you? But when what they say appeals to them, are, they don't say, hey, um, I can do 10 at once at a discount. They don't say... Hey, I can do a discounted accreditation. That is the furthest thing from their mind. What they say is, is I can take 10 of the practices that I have recently or, you know, in my past that I've purchased and brought under this brand, I can take 10 of those practices, put them through this process, build a team, a better team at each individual practice and build a community among the practices under my brand. I don't have a way to do that today. They don't have a way. So I buy two practices in Alabama, two in Mississippi, two in Florida, two in Georgia, et cetera. I don't have a way of connecting them. They don't do that today. So this process of accreditation gives them not only a goal to shoot for, but an ongoing way to bring their practices together to learn from each other about, you know, how do you deal with standards around surgical suite? You know, because all of our practices were built with different blueprints in mind, right? That kind of thing. So what we are learning is, so let me go back now to the, to the pilot that we're currently running with eight independent practices. We sent an email. Uh, when we had this idea of this pilot, we sent an email to 350 practices that know AHA but are not accredited. And we asked those 350 practices. We said, we, we literally, we wrote one paragraph to those 350 that said, "Here's our idea: cohort accreditation. This is what it is. Do you want to be in the pilot?" Now, you guys know that with a marketing email, if you get two percent response rate, you're you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Five percent is like is like a big swinging deal, right? We got out of 350, we got 82 practices, raising their hands, saying, committing to being in the pilot in one email. So then we invited them to a webinar about it. And we said, well, we we can't do, you know, eight or nine or 10 cohorts at once. So we're going to choose one, you know, and we'll line you up and we'll we'll start with, you know, a group of eight to 10. So we already have a built-in list of 80 practices. Number one, independent, that want to do cohort. And we've pitched our prototype to now 15 to 20 consolidators. We just pitched one last night, Dave. And I got to tell you this, we, um, um, uh, the, the DVM who led uh, one of the regions for this particular consolidator had hundred practices Who uh, in her region. They have- The what, the region. DBM d- database? DBM, doc, doctor of veterinary medicine. D- okay, doctor then, okay. This doctor of veterinary medicine has 100 practices reporting to her uh, in her region. They have five regions, so they have about 500 practices total. Okay, in wow. their in their universe, they have 500 practices. This DBM, who who oversees 100 said at the end of our pitch yesterday, I could generate, I could create four to six uh, cohorts tomorrow. Can we start with you tomorrow?
0: That's awesome. There's your channel, right? You got a whole channel to go through. That's amazing.
2: So when you ask about how are we going to create awareness, it's because the value is there. This isn't because we've done a big fancy marketing campaign. We have done no telesales. I have, as our CEO, pitched, made 15 pitches. And literally, I I can't tell you, there's probably representing about probably now 5,000 practices those, those 15 pitches have about 5,000 practices and every single one of them is raised I feel like we're at a point where like where we're like Tesla where we should be taking pre-orders and and get ourselves ready to start to, to, to do are production gonna,
1: Are you gonna take a deposit on that pre-order yes yes <laughs> absolutely
2: It's Line also up. that's
0: the commitment right like if you don't Line get up. the hundred dollars for the cyber truck it's You're not, not really, really anybody can put their name on a list. But not everybody's gonna put hundred bucks and their name on the list,
1: right? right that's got to that's got to make you feel incredible because we kind of we have an executive management training program that sells out two years in advance. People are waiting for the for us to just say registrations open. We used to open it up a year in advance. Now we open it up two years in advance, and it sells out within about three or four months. And so to have something like that that you don't really need yep. marketing, we don't even print brochures. It just organically. Someone hears this opening, bam! That's got to make you feel. This that's not organic,
0: man. He's working his ass off to get yeah. these <laughs> consolidators into these pitches. I mean, to do these pitches, he, and and what he's doing is he's selling to whales. So this this one consolidated practice person that has five hundred practices. By the way, just doing the math, there's a little under ten thousand consolidated practices. Now you've got five thousand yep. of them listening to you. Um, yeah. That that's that's not effortless. That's a lot of marketing that goes into getting that. So that was a great answer to my question ten minutes ago about why aren't you do marketing? Well, yeah, I love well, it, it, man. A great
1: we're, answer. We're,
2: we're doing it, but but the the we're doing it in a way where other than my time, which yeah. you know one could argue is valuable or not valuable at all. Okay, so other than my time and a couple of other people who who are doing this with me, you know this uh, um, this is exceptionally low risk. We have not put a lot of money into a marketing campaign. We basically got an idea. It's a prototype and we're going out and we're talking about it. And what we're telling folks, and, and, it's, and it's low risk for them too. And that's why we're able to get the, the, the CEOs and the, the chief uh, medical officers in the room. We're telling them, we're not trying to sell you. We're, we want to talk to you about this idea and get your feedback. And we tell them every single meeting, we are not here to fall in love with our product. We are here to fall in love with your feedback. And immediately, the feedback we get is positive with a couple of tweaks. And we've iterated on the product now in these 15 pitches. And we know, we know we have a winner. We absolutely know it. So now the question is, is how do we rally around it organizationally to go from and build from a one-to-one organization to a one-to-many organization? And that's that's the that's the challenge
1: now. So 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 we've talked a lot about process and how you've gotten there, but I think the real value in this conversation for the people listening because they can all anybody can any organization can come up with the great idea, but where it always stops is when you say, "Hey board, I had this great idea that we've (laughs) talked about, even we got member sentiment behind it," and they like say, "You know what? That's not how we do things around here." I think so. What I'm always interested in being an association CEO is your your thought process your pathway and journey of how did you approach the board? What was the board what pushback did you get, if any, and how, how you got the board to just say, let's get on this train and ride this train.
2: Uh, It's a good question. And I have a really simple answer for it, which is the, the, the horse I ride every day. And that is we, we just use design thinking, Tom. So we used it for our uh, this development of this particular idea of cohort. We also used it uh, at a higher level for our strategic plan. And so uh, um, I'm not going to sit here and talk about what design thinking is and how it works and everything, but suffice to say that the end result, whatever you're doing, whether it's a strategic plan, product development, or any kind of solution development, essentially design thinking allows you to build that thing that you want to build that has high value based on, on, on well-defined, clearly defined customer needs. So again, you can do something big and hairy and audacious like a strategic plan, or you can do an individual product. The point is, is that we use design thinking, which essentially is getting hundreds of our members qualitative input, not survey development, qualitative input on, on what they need, what their pain points are. You know, we're not asking them, do you, you know, like our magazine. We, you know, we're not asking about that. We're asking about the deeper stuff. What do you say think do and feel about your work? How are, you know, what's going on here? What so that we can identify those pain points and that's what our right. strategic plan and ultimately cohort was built around. Right? How so are you collecting that? The interviews like this? Yeah, so face-to-face
0: interviews, yeah.
2: Yeah, conversations, interviews, shadowing. You 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 can't do it in a survey. You just can't. and uh uh, well you can but it's it's you know it's not nearly as good let's just put it that way so when when in in doing that essentially and this is me getting to to answer your question tom in doing that uh, um any and i'll say this tongue in cheek a little bit any reasonable board will fall in line with whatever the results Mm -hmm. are because they realize that it's all from the member point of view this isn't something that garth is doing to aha or that our staff are trying to you know, do an end around on the board, this has nothing to do with the staff. This has everything to do with that, that member point of view. Number and if speaking. they need, that's it, period, end of story. So if you're dealing with a completely unreasonable board, I could see them you know, having the response, for example, that you, that you brought up, like, we don't do things like that around here. But if you do something like design thinking, human-centered design, or whatever you want to call it, um, boy, it's hard to argue with. And, and, and from my perspective, I've done this now three times with three different boards. The board actually just gets excited about it. Right. They're, they're yeah. not, they're like, they're, they try to be out ahead of it now. Yeah. And they're, they're just aching for the ideas, these ideas now to come to fruition. Right. And I'm like, well, it's going to take us a couple years to do it well. <laughs> so now I've got to temper the enthusiasm versus trying to bring them along. And I'd rather mm-hmm. have the tempering, than, than, the, uh, uh, than the bringing along challenge any day.
1: You know, I think, I think, I think that what you're saying though about getting, getting the grassroots information up, because what I've learned in 25 years of association management, doing a lot of strategic planning with, with groups as well as our association, is typically your a board of directors are from the top one third of the membership. Why? Because they can afford to be there. The mm-hmm. bottom half and bottom third are generally not involved in the board at level. Some just are t- intimidated by being around the big guys, but a lot of them just don't have the money to travel and be a part of it unless the association's footing the bill. So the, the top third makes decisions in their businesses because typically they're some of the more successful ones. They make decisions very differently than the people in the bottom third. But in order to get the bottom third and all that input, I love how you're saying you go out and you ask them and get that information. And once you yeah. present it, like you said, to a board, you can't argue that 63% of the members said that this is a huge issue and you can't ignore
2: that. And, and I will tell you, once, once I talk to... myself to 25 30 members um i I was hearing the same themes once i got to 35 40 45 50. so it it was an invaluable uh set of time spent uh on my own and then we have practice consultants who you know work with practices and members every day and so you just solicit their feedback because they're they're talking to members on the on the front line every day right not it's not rocket science. You can go hire a market research firm to do this qualitative type of research, and it'll cost you about, probably on the very high, high, high end, $200 per interview. And once you get to 30 interviews, you don't need any more. So what's that, uh, six grand? You know, and then write a report on it, that's 10, and then use that and distill that into your you know, understanding your, where your true value needs to, to head. This is this is invaluable stuff that just does not cost a lot of money. It's cost time. Gareth,
0: we're going to do the same thing on our end over here at PropFuel. We're going to, um, you know, we're five years into this, and we yeah. realized we have so much that we don't know about why people are using our platform. So we're going to do exactly the same thing that you just did with your 50 or so members that you've talked to out of your 4,500 members, you talked to you know, almost 10% of them. And or is that 1%? I guess that's 10%. 1%. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> but regardless, it's you started to hear the same themes, right? So you, 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 to a certain degree, you understand the, the themes of what's going on and what people want. What did you discover in terms of... So I, I heard a, um, an entrepreneur talk recently about, uh, some organizations fall in love with their solution and some organizations (laughs) fall in love with the problem right and the goal is not to fall in love with the solution because then you find yourself selling your solution the goal is to fall in love with the problem that you're solving so that you can continue to innovate around solving it so what is i i mean i know your solution i'm in love with (laughs) your solution but what's the problem that you're solving
2: well uh it's a good question so with uh, I'm going to come at it from two different directions in the short time we have left. So in, in doing Design Thinking for with our strategic plan, we're, we will end up replacing the mission and vision statements that are way too long and not very memorable with eight words. And those eight words are simplify the journey towards excellence for veterinary practices. Those are our eight words. That's our North Star, our just cause, our mantra, our purpose, call it what you want to call it. Those eight words are easy to remember for everybody. Right, so so in essence, that's the challenge we're trying to solve. Is the journey to be an excellent practice is rife with potholes and difficulties, and our job is to simplify it. So, if I was to whittle it down to one word, it's simplify. If I was to whittle it down to two words or three words, it would be simplify the journey.
1: So
0: this this reminds right. me of a um, <clears throat> this reminds me of a tool that is very very common. In the entrepreneurial world, uh, there's a few of them actually. Strategic planning systems. One is called Traction or Entrepreneur Operating System. It's p- put on by a, a guy named um, Gino Wickman. Another one that's very similar is Vern Harnish, who was actually at uh, Digital Now in uh, December of, of 2021. And Vern Harnish is his program is called Scaling Up. Uh, both of them are systems to create a vision for the future and how you want to get there. And it, it's more or less a strategic planning program. It's, it's a very, it seems to me to be very similar to what you're doing for veterinary hospitals. Um,
2: it, it, it very well could be. We're just with AHA, we're just taking the concept of human centered design or design thinking. And it's a very malleable system or process. And we're, 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 uh, um, uh, we're putting it, we're making it a strategic planning process, right? So same, same concepts, right? We're just using a, di- a different process that's, again, out there in the world, well proven for lots of different uh, uh, challenges. So uh, um, so the other challenge that we do see from our, uh, our world, in, especially in the last few years, is the uh, explosion of pet owners has put a daunting task into almost every veterinary practice to hmm. deal with to deal with the volume. So uh, you know, our, our industry is growing double digits every year, unlike you know, many other industries that were impacted negatively by the pandemic. We were impacted positively to some extent, but the teams that work in these veterinary practices are struggling. They're struggling with volume, they're struggling with mental health, they're struggling with all kinds of things. So anything that's a solution, to support the team and build a better team is, is going to be looked at. And so that's another reason why that idea of this being a team development process, instead of just earning a badge of accreditation, that's another reason why it's resonating so well.
0: Garth, it's awesome. All right. So the way we end these things is w- Tom and I, and you will we'll look back on the past half hour, 40 minutes, and, and we'll, we'll, uh, uh pick the one thing that stands out to us as as the takeaway. So we'll give you a chance to think about it. Uh, Tom will go, I'll go. And then uh, Garth will turn it over to you and wrap it. Tom, what's your number one takeaway here?
1: So so two takeaways is the number one is get down to the grassroots and survey your members from the ground up and find out what the highest pain points are. You have to do that to get that in your board's hands. And the second thing is don't listen so much to the information, but the fuel is the feeling. And what feelings there that hit that pain point that causes your member want to buy and or a non-member to want to join. That's the two big issues. And Garth, it's been great listening to your story. It's, it's just an amazing uh, journey you've been on.
0: It is a cool one. Yeah, for, for me, um, gosh, uh, honestly, Garth, there's like there's so much in here that I think is so cool. And, and uh, you know, the, even noting that your title's C- CEO, not executive director, just shows that um, uh, it, it's it's a different perspective on what your job is Um, uh, and I can hear people listening to this debating that right now so I take that with a grain of salt I I agree with you Tom like the one thing that I took away from this and especially being a company that has a process around capturing input from from members and doing something with it I still am a huge fan of this qualitative research that garth did with the one percent of his membership mm-hmm. super mm-hmm. super cool i can't wait to do that with our clients so to me just getting into that a little bit was um was the key takeaway garth what's what's the thing that stands out to you most from this conversation
2: um or the I point you want to
0: make the most
2: I, yeah i would say it's, it's probably a little bit of both i would say anyone listening here especially for associations that have a lot of you know, tradition, background, years behind them, you know, miles under their feet, so to speak, is to be really, truly open to redefining your value proposition and getting it down to a very simple and clear statement, but make it based on the empathy for your members, not based on um, um, where you need to find Mm -hmm. revenue, and then be willing to invest in the value and in the development of the value, not invest in the stuff.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the value of the team building, not the publications and the content right, and the discounts, right?
2: Because right. frankly, that's not, that's not what people care about. They don't care about the laundry list and the features and the discount and all the, all the junk that is proliferating out there. They care about that value, but they, you need to know your value proposition in order to invest in it. Our value proposition, we never would have known two years ago was really about team building. We never would have known it because we never really understood it. Never asked. So, Awesome I, it, episode. It yeah.
0: This was one of my favorite episodes, Tom. Yeah. Oh, you, guys,
1: you know why? Because it's touching on the feeling. You're such a lover, Dave.
0: <laughs> I am a lover. And you're, I think you're right. It's I am a lover. And that's why this was such a good one for me. All right, Garth. Thank you so Garth, much. Thank you
1: thanks so much you for guys. being here, man.
2: Good to meet you. Thanks for, thanks for asking me to be here. Appreciate you guys.
1: All right, Big David. Good to talk to you, my man. We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorson.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com.
0: Give us a review if you haven't already and don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.